Welcome to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode and today's discussion is going to be about idolatry. But before we begin, let's say a word of prayer as it's very important to start every Bible discussion with prayer so that the Holy Spirit can lead and guide us. So with that, bow your heads and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for another day that you've given us. I ask that you please be with us as we study your holy word. Help us to glean precious holy truths from it. Help us to learn and thank you for giving us your word that we may know you and understand marvelous, wonderful truths. Please be with the listeners and myself as we go through this study. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayer in your precious holy son's name. Amen. All right, uh, you can take out your Bibles if you want and follow along. Um, and you can go to Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6. It says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The second commandment of the Ten Commandments that the Lord wrote with his own hand on the tables of stone, not once, but twice. And we all know that the commandments of the Lord are important. Not just important, but essential to the Christian walk. And if we break even one of the commandments just a little bit and don't repent, we will not be in heaven. Also, if we break one of the commandments, we break them all. And there is a problem in today's society. We like to look at the surface and just read what is necessary. There are people who take God's word and twist and turn it to suit their own purposes, mixing truth with error, and they add and take away from the Bible. People only know versions of the truth because they are being deceived into believing a certain way by the leaders. They call these twisted lies truth and encourage people to read from these false books and dare call them a Bible, such as the New International Version, the New King James Version, and quite frankly, every version out there besides the King James Version. And with that being said, we aren't here to discuss the different versions of the Bible, although I plan on doing a podcast about the different versions of the Bible and how they're corrupt and why they're corrupt. Although it does fit in with our topic, which is why I brought it up in the first place. You see, in other versions of the Bible, they take out the second commandment, only one version, and that's the Catholic Church's Bible. And the commandment that says you shouldn't worship idols isn't there. The verse that I just read at the very beginning, and we were told that this would happen in the Bible. In Daniel 7:25, it says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. You see, this verse doesn't just refer to the Catholic Church trying to change Sabbath to Sunday. If you notice, the verse says laws, which is plural. 
the Catholic Church took out the Second Commandment and split the Ninth Commandment into two commandments so that there would still be Ten Commandments. You can see for yourself uh, with one of the Catholic Bibles, uh, examine it, take it out, and see that the Second Commandment is gone. They completely took it out. And because they did that, it's another sign that the verse in Daniel 7.25 is talking about the Catholic Church. They are the only ones who have had the audacity to try and change God's holy law and deceive many people as a result of it. Now you may ask, why would the Catholic Church want to get rid of that particular commandment? As I'm sure most of you know, the Catholic Church worships many idols. Although they don't call them that, they call them saints, and they pray to the mother of Jesus, which is Mary. And they have all these statues of these saints in the churches, and they pray to them. This is an abomination on several levels. The first is the Bible is very clear that we are only to pray and bow down to the Lord and no one else. And we have examples in the Bible where the men and women who have been visited by angels and they went down to worship before them, the angels reprimanded them and told them to get up because they were not to be worshipped and that only the Lord is worthy of being bowed down to. Other times in the Bible when the men and women did bow down to worship a holy being, the holy being didn't reprimand them. It was because it was the Lord that was before those people. And the second reason why bowing to these statues is an abomination is because of what the Bible says about the state of the dead. If any of you have read my blogs, Dead Men Tell No Tales and Life After Death, you will know already what I'm talking about. And I plan to do a podcast about it, those that topic very soon. And for those of you who haven't, I encourage you to read uh, those um, blogs and study that topic out for yourself. Also, be on the lookout for when I make the podcast about it. And I shall um, say this about it, though. The Bible is very clear that the dead know nothing and are not in heaven or hell or purgatory like the Catholic Church would have you believe. The dead are in the ground asleep waiting for the resurrection when Jesus comes back, whether to life or eternal death. And it says in the Bible that David is still in the ground, for example. And that's another reason why we shouldn't be bowing down to these dead men. These dead men do not deserve worship. Only God deserves worship. We're, we shouldn't worship the dead. The third reason is that it is totally unnecessary to go through these saints in order for the Lord to hear our prayers. We can go directly to our Father in heaven. Jesus gave us an example of how to pray with the Lord's Prayer, as it is more commonly known. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus said not to use vain repetitions. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means that we don't need to repeat 20 Hail Marys and all that other nonsense. We don't need to say over and over again in prayer the same thing. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't pray for something again and again. For example, if we're putting out a fleece uh, about something or praying for healing or something like that, we can pray for it every day. But we don't need to repeat it in the same prayer over and over again about the same thing. We can ask for the Lord's will to be done each and every day concerning the matter, whatever it may be, and then wait for the answer, whether we like the answer or not, or whether we have to wait a while. And sometimes the Lord answers the prayer in a very unusual way, or makes us wait sometimes a long time before the prayer is answered, and that answer may come in an unusual way. Originally, the saints, and even Mary, the mother of Jesus, the statues that the Catholics worship and pray to were all pagan deities and made for pagan worship. When some of the pagans converted into Christianity, they didn't want to give up their idol worship. So they changed the idols of the sun god and all of the other pagan deities into the apostles and other saints that did good deeds. Now, mother and child worship were the basis of ancient religions. In the various religions of the world, the same system of worship was per perpetrated under different names. In Egypt, the mother and child were worshipped as Isis and Osiris, or Horus, Osiris, I'm sorry. In India, as Isi and Iswara. In China and Japan, as the mother goddess Shingmu with child. And in Greece, as Ceres or Irene and Platus. In Rome, as Fortuna and Jupiter Poor, or Venus and Adernus, I think. Um, these names are definitely different. And in Scandinavia, as Figra and Balder. And the, the mother and child were worshipped in Babylon as Ishtar and Tammuz. And in Phoenicia, as Ashtoreth and Baal. As you can tell, it was all pagan. And some of the early Christians changed those idols into um, something more appealing so that they would have a clear conscience bowing down to these pagan idols. And with all that being said, how in all good conscience can anyone bow down to these idols when the Bible is very clear on this point? Idolatry isn't just about bowing down to statues, though. It goes deeper than that. Remember, we can't be surface readers. We must dig deep and see what the Lord would have us know. Anything can be an idol. Anything that we place above the Lord is an idol. It could be how you eat, dress, speak, how you act, when you put um, something in your body or something on top of your body that isn't right. Friends, family, entertainment, and everything that goes along with that. If anything in your life is taking precedence over the Lord, then it's an idol. If it takes away from your reading, praying, and studying from the Bible, then it's an idol. If you love someone more than you love the Lord, then that person can be an idol. 
the world has made many people into idols. All the famous people in the world today, people go crazy about them and worship the ground they walk on, literally. And this is an abomination. The Lord is not pleased with that. We're not to be putting another man or woman up on this pedestal, asking for their autographs and asking for a picture to be taken with them and anything else that go, may go along with that. This is not what we should be doing. And we should not encourage that for ourselves either, make ourselves into these celebrities. We can turn ourselves into an idol. Many people spend hours in front of the mirror uh, or taking pictures of themselves, trying to um, look good on the outside. And men and women of the Lord will not be putting another man or woman in an honored station. That is not how we are to act as children of God. This doesn't just go for the celebrities of the world. We must be careful to not put any person up and think of them as a celebrity. Many people do that to spiritual leaders and pastors and they put them up on this pedestal and they take their word as gospel when that's not what we're told to do. We're supposed to be Bereans and study for ourselves what the Bible says about topics. And we are all important in the Lord's eyes. We all have talents and abilities that the Lord has given us to be used for his glory and honor and not to make ourselves famous. This is very important because I know I used to put people on this high pedestal and I thought they were so great until the Lord showed me the error of my ways and I had to ask for the Lord's forgiveness. When I was younger, I didn't realize what I was doing. I thought it was okay because everyone else was doing the same thing. But that's not a reason to do it. In fact, that usually means it isn't good, generally. And I was so used to how society viewed things that I didn't even take the time to think about what the Lord might have thought about this. And I'm so thankful that the Lord brought it to my attention and that I learned the truth on this matter. And I had to change and repent and no longer do those things. And I know I have things in my life that I need to work on. I'm by no means perfect. I just pray continually that the Lord continues to lead and guide and direct me, that I may grow in him and that I may leave the worldliness behind me and that I may grow to hate the sin that I once enjoyed or may have enjoyed. And I pray the same for all of you as well. Um, if you remember the Bible story um, in... Uh, the Old Testament, where the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. And um, to make a long story sh short, you can look this up for yourselves and read it. But uh, the they placed the Ark of the Covenant in their temple. And in the morning when they got up, their god, their statue, was on the ground facing uh, the Ark of the Covenant, like it was bowing down to God. And they put it back up, and the next morning they came back, and it was down again. And then uh, they put it back up, and they didn't, they couldn't figure out what was happening. And then the third time, it broke. And they eventually sent the Ark of the Covenant back uh, to the Israelites because of all of the stuff that happened while they had it under their care. And that just goes to show you right there that idolatry is not okay, that the Lord doesn't stand for anybody else being worshipped except for him.
Now, I want to read some quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy, what she has to say about idolatry. And these are just a few. She has many more quotes, and I encourage you to read them and study it out and uh, do a study for yourself. Um, I, will, I will read the quote, and then I will tell you where that quote came from. So, um, here's the first one. There has been very little deep piety and wholeness to God. When the Spirit of Christ takes possession of the heart, then there is a missionary for God. The most grievous sin of idolatry exists in the church, and he who interposes between the professed Christian and his wholehearted service to God takes the form of an idol, and the most grievous sin of idolatry is idolatry itself. 12 MR 330.2 Speaking of Satan, our Lord says that he abode not in the truth. He was once the covering cherub, glorious in beauty and holiness, and he was next to Christ in exaltation and character. It was with Satan that self-exaltation had its origin. He became jealous of Christ and falsely accused him and then laid blame upon the Father. He was envious of the position that was held by Christ and the Father, and he turned from his allegiance to the commander of heaven and lost his high and holy estate. Though the angels had a knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, though they were happy in the glorious service which they did for the king of heaven, yet through his crooked representations of Christ and the Father, the evil one deceived a great company of angels, drew them into sympathy with himself, and associated them with himself in rebellion. Satan and his sympathizers became the avowed antagonists of God, established their own infernal empire, and set up a standard of rebellion against the God of heaven. All the principalities and powers of evil rallied to the work of overthrowing the government of God. R.H. October 22, 1895, paragraph 1. Satan accomplished the fall of man, and since that time it has been his work to efface in man the image of God and to stamp upon human hearts his own image. Possessing supremacy and guilt, he claims supremacy for himself and exercises over his subjects the power of royalty. He cannot expel God from his throne, but through the system of idolatry he plants his own throne between the heaven and the earth. Between God and the human worshiper, he intercepts every ray of light that comes from God to man and approbates the worship that is due to God. R.H. October 22, 1895, paragraph 2. Satan has wrought with deceiving power, bringing in a multiplicity of errors that obscure the truth. Error cannot stand alone and would soon become extinct if it did not fasten itself like a parasite upon the tree of truth. Error draws its life from the truth of God. The traditions of men, like floating germs, attach themselves to the truth of God, and men regard them as a part of the truth. Through false doctrines, Satan gains a foothold and captivates the minds of men, causing them to hold theories that have no foundation in truth. Men boldly teach for doctrines the commandments of men, and as traditions pass on from age to age, they acquire a power over the human mind. But age does not make error truth, neither does its burdensome weight cause the plant of truth to become a parasite. The tree of truth bears its own genuine fruit, showing its true origin and nature. The parasite of error also bears its own fruit and makes manifest that its character is diverse from the plant of heavenly origin. 
R.H. October 22nd, 1895, paragraph 3. It is through false theories and traditions that Satan gains his power over the human mind. We can see the extent to which he exercises his power by the disloyalty that is in the world. Even the churches that profess to be Christian have turned from the law of Jehovah and have erected a false standard. Satan has had his hand in all this, for by directing men to false standards, he mishaps the human character and causes humanity to acknowledge him as supreme. He works counter to the holy law of God and denies God's jurisdiction. It is at his throne that every evil work finds its starting point and obtains its support. R.H. October 22nd, 1895, paragraph 4. Satan has charged injustice upon God and at various times has set in motion all his supernatural agencies in order to cut off from men the knowledge of God, to turn their attention from the temple of God and to establish his own kingdom in the earth. At different times, he has almost succeeded in spreading idolatry through the throughout the world. The history of the past shows that he has striven to obtain the mastery upon earth and that his strife for supremacy has seemed to be almost wholly successful. He has worked in such a manner that the Prince of Heaven has seemed to be lost sight of. It has seemed that the confederacy of idolatry has borne supreme sway, and that Satan had indeed become the god of this world. But the only begotten Son of God has looked upon the scene, has beheld human suffering and misery. With pity he has seen how his human agencies have been blinded by the deceptions of the enemy and have become victims of satanic cruelty. He has seen how Satan has exalted men simply for the purpose of casting them down, how he has flattered them in order to draw them into his net and destroy them. He looked upon the schemes by which Satan works to blot from the human soul every trace of likeness to God, how he led them into intemperance so as to destroy the moral powers which God gave to man as a most precious, priceless endowment. He saw how through indulgence and appetite, brain power was destroyed, and the temple of God was in ruins. He looked with compassion upon men who were becoming corrupted, ruined, murdered, and lost, through choosing a ruler who chained them to his car as captives. And yet these slaves were so bewildered, so beguiled and deceived that they were actually pleased with their slavery as they moved on in gloomy procession toward eternal ruin. To death in which is no hope of life, toward night to which comes no morning. He saw human beings possessed by devils, saw satanic agencies incorporated with men, saw the bodies of men become the inhabitants for the degrading indwelling of demons. Man made for the dwelling place of God became the habitation of dragons. The senses, the nerves, the passions, the organs of man were worked by supernatural agencies in the indulgence of the grossest, vilest lust. The very stamp of demons was impressed upon the countenances of men, and human faces reflected the expression of the legions of evil with which they were possessed. Such was the prospect upon which the world's Redeemer looked. What a horrible spectacle for the eyes of infinite purity to behold! Wherein can he behold his image? And yet God, the Infinite One, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son for such a world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
R.H. October 22, 1895, paragraph 5. Christ came to our world, sent of God to take human nature upon him. The mystery, the mysterious union was to be formed between human nature and the divine nature. Christ was to become a man in order that he might unfold to men as fully as possible the mysteries of the science of redemption. But the scheme of redemption far exceeds the comprehension of the human mind. The great condescension on the part of God is a mystery that is beyond our fathoming. The greatness of the plan cannot be fully comprehended, nor could infinite wisdom devise a plan that would surpass it. It could be successful only by the clothing of divinity with humanity, by Christ becoming man and suffering the wrath which sin has made because of the transgression of God's law. Through this plan, the great, the dreadful God can be just and yet be the justifier of all who believe in Christ and who receive him as their personal savior. This is the heavenly science of redemption, of saving men from eternal ruin, and can be carried out through the incarnation of the Son of God, through his triumph over sin and death. In seeking to fathom this plan, all finite intelligences are baffled. R.H. October 22, 1895, paragraph 6. Before the world was created, infinite wisdom provided for the terrible possibility of man's disloyalty. Though man transgressed God's law, yet the law was not weakened in the slightest particular. It stands fast forever and ever as his eternal throne. No hope could be found for man through the alteration of God's law. But God so loved the world that he gave himself in Christ to the world to bear the penalty of man's transgression. God suffered with his Son, as the divine being alone could suffer, in order that the world might become reconciled to him. R.H. October 22, 1895, paragraph 7. Those are some very powerful words. And when I first read them, I was amazed. It, it's amazing what the Lord has done for us. And I encourage you to read these quotes in your own time and, and study them and really take it in what she's trying to say and study for yourself this topic about idolatry. It's a very important uh, topic. And it's easy for us to get caught up in our own way of doing things and get caught up in celebrities or ourselves or other people and, and forget about God and forget how important it is to take time um, every day, morning, noon, and night to spend with him. We're given 24 hours of the day. And with those hours, um, we need to spend most of that time with the Lord. You can pray during work. You can, in your mind, you can uh, listen to heavenly music. You can uh, listen to sermons and podcasts and really delve in to the word of God and, and be connected with him. And by that way, evil will be dispelled from our minds. And we won't want to do those bad, wicked things that we once did. That is why Paul said, I die daily. He also said that um, he's constantly in prayer um, with the Lord. And uh, I think it's a beautiful thing to be in constant communication with the Lord throughout the day. And the song that I think really represents this topic well is I Surrender All. 
because we need to surrender everything to the Lord. And, and that includes things that we like and things that are not good for us. And even things that are good can become an idol. Uh, so we have to be careful. So I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will never love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit, truly know that thou art mine. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power, let Thy blessing fall on me. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I definitely want to do that, and I hope all of you do as well. And remember what it says in Matthew 5.16. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And with all that being said, study this out for yourself. Um, and I know that the Lord will bless you as you do. So let your light so shine that you are a star witness for the Lord.